13 minutes past eight. We had another whirlwind weekend following Seoul's decision to terminate GSOMIA, that military intelligence sharing agreement with Japan. On Saturday morning, North Korea fired two projectiles, presumed to be short-range ballistic missiles, into the EC. I said equipped earlier in the show that these missiles are hardly going noticed. I mean, of course, they're being noticed by military officials, but with everything else that's going on, it's, it's almost becoming routine what North Korea is doing with its missiles. But no doubt it will try to seize some advantage uh, with the situation breaking apart with Japan. And uh, also, South Korea's doubled down by launching these enhanced and expanded doctor defence drills, which started yesterday two-day drills, an exercise apparently to guard this country's sovereignty and territory. For further analysis, let's welcome here in the studio, first of all, Dr. Bong Yong-shik, research fellow at Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies. Good to have you here. Uh, good morning. So, I, I mean, this defence drill, uh, we've been warned by the South Korean side not to read too much politically into it, but it, it does feel like it's doubling down on the Jisomia situation. What's your view? I think so. There's uh, some political considerations behind the decision to have this expanded version of you know, uh, military exercises uh, for the sake of defending South Korean territory at the uh, sea, especially the territory of Dokdo. Uh, from a strategic standpoint, and, uh, you may question the rationality of this drill uh, because Dokdo constitutes uh, not uh, essentially important strategic um, you know, locus Uh, of the South Korean defense. Um, So the justification of this massive exercise uh, may not be justified in terms of purely a military standpoint. And a quick note on what North Korea did over the weekend. It's seventh missile test or series of tests that we've seen over the last few weeks. As I mentioned, it feels like it's become rather routine. But was this latest one particularly significant because... Well, there's no more joint U.S. drills to uh, to hold as a pretext. So, is it more about what's going on with Japan? Well, um, we have to wait and see until we have verifiable and concrete intelligence analysis whether uh, there was truly behind the uh, the motivation of North Korean regime to conduct another round of test firing test firing of short range missiles. Uh, I agree with you that the timing is really, you know, too much of a coincidence. You know, with the uh, South Korean government's decision to walk away from Jinsomia. Uh, but at the same time, I would believe that it was still in the interest of North Korean military to complete the test of new versions of short-range missiles when uh, they are given very permissive uh, atmosphere thanks to the remarks by U.S. President Donald Trump uh, that short-range missile test firing Um, does not violate any agreements uh, between U.S. and North Korea, as well as the remark by Mr. Chong Yi-yong, the national security advisor of the Moon Jae-in government, that uh, these short-range missile tests are not in violation of the agreement uh, to reduce the military tension uh, signed between the two militaries uh, last year on September 19th. So why not? Dr. Bong, please stand by with us for a moment. We're going to catch up on the line with Brad Glossaman, visiting professor at Tama University in Tokyo. And good to have you with us. Uh, My pleasure. So President Trump and Prime Minister Abe met hours ago on the sidelines of the Group of Seven summit in Biritz, France. The main focus was the bilateral trade agreement reached between Tokyo and Washington. 
Uh, there was also a comment from Trump on North Korea, but do, do we know whether they would also have been discussing this military intelligence sharing deal falling apart between South Korea and Japan and the ongoing military exercise that South Korea is holding in the EC? Uh, unlikely. Uh, it may have been mentioned in passing, but quite frankly, number one, the president really doesn't care about that level of detail, I think, in some of his relations that are peripheral, if you will, or, or, or um, you know, complementary to the, to the main relationship with the United States. And secondly, I just don't think that he's that concerned about those issues. He's more concerned, of course, with the trade question more broadly and with the relationship with North Korea, again, in, in the context of its relationship with the United States. Following this announcement of the drill, Japan again summoned in South Korea's ambassador to protest. It's just a constant battle, basically, that's going on here. But when you summon in an ambassador to express regret, does it actually make any practical difference at all? Not in this particular case. I mean, it is a way of registering your disapproval. And it is one of those diplomatic boxes one ticks to, to as you said, register real uh, unhappiness in a very official setting. But, you know, the bottom line is is that uh, this is a relationship, and, and this is a problem that has been, that has plagued the relationship for quite some time. And uh, it, it has reached a stage, unfortunately, where both sides seem really more interested, it seems, in going through the rituals and in reasserting themselves and in doing, in some ways, sadly, the little petty things that are designed no more than to irritate and to prove petty political points than they are necessarily to do anything substantive about the relationship. Yeah, and, and of course, if you look back two months ago when the Osaka G20 ended, it was the Abe government that is accused of dragging economic matters into this dispute by slapping Seoul with effective trade curbs. Japan has its own version of events and, and would point further back at, for example, Supreme Court rulings here as, as being the cause of, of, of the real sharp downturn in, in relations. What, what's your understanding of the downward spiral we're on, whoever's causing it? Well, I, I think you've caught it. Uh, you, you, whoever is telling the story, and I mean literally whichever government or whichever person, the nationality of the person telling the tales, they get to pick where they begin the dispute. And let's face it, it really begins uh, over 100 years ago with the annexation of, of Japan, or uh, the annexation of the Korean Peninsula by Japan. It was a horrific and brutal time. And the question really becomes to what degree are we prepared to accept that the 1965 normalization uh, agreement actually put a cap on those experiences and put put if you will the the you know the floor under our understanding of, of how that history is to be interpreted and and worked through in my book that I wrote with Scott Snyder a preeminent South Korea scholar we argued that in fact the real root of the problem at this point is the question of national identity which too is a, a real if you will you know constructive narrative it's written by the people in power and the argument that we make is quite fundamentally at that root, root, gut level, Japan is the other that allows in, in the, the South Koreans to proclaim who they are. It is precisely the formative experiences of the struggle against Japan that is so absolutely essential to the contemporary notions of South Korean identity today. And for Japan, in fact, South Korea's own protests and, and South Korea's complaints are undermine, or, or undermine the, the sense of who the Japanese are, because what it does is deny... The, the belief that the Japanese have that they have forged a different nation since 1945, that they are a different people. 
and as well that they believe, too, that they've been victimized by that war. And South Korean complaints suggest that somehow Japan hasn't changed. And that those two competing narratives, those two you know, notions, fundamental notions of national identity are in sharp, sharp contrast. And the two really not only clash, but actually contribute to this extraordinary dynamic we're living through today. And coming back to where we were before in this interview on on the termination of that military intelligence sharing agreement, GSOMIA. Um, I, I know that you said before this interview that it's likely to have very serious consequences. Can you give us a, your vision of the future from here, based on where we're currently at? Certainly. I, I think at this point we're going to continue to, conce- to see continued uh, deterioration. I mean, we'll see more things like this exercise, which, to be very honest, is not a big deal in the sense that South Korea controls the Dokdo. Uh, the Japanese may claim it, but the Japanese have also said that they will not ever change or attempt to change the status of the islands by anything other than a diplomatic resi- uh, uh, resolution. So what that means is, is that they're, they're South Korea's, uh, and they will be there to stay, and Japan will not be in a position to change that reality. So as South Korea does it, uh, Japan will, does what it does with them to prove a political point. Japan will snipe. It will respond in, a, in another way. So I think uh, in the absence of a political commitment by, frankly, at this point, the South Korean leadership, given the extraordinary distrust of Japan of, of Seoul and Japan right now, that we're not going to see a, a, a down a, a halt to the downward spiral. At the same time, I mean to be to be quite quite honest. This is not going to be uh, the end of military cooperation. There are alternative agreements. There's one called the TISA, the Trilateral Information Sharing Agreement between the United States, Japan, and South Korea that predates the Jusomia. It's not as efficient, and that's, of course, going to be the problem, that it's now going to have less uh, uh, direct conversations between Japan and South Korea, which, quite frankly, I think is going to has the potential to do great damage to South Korean security. And so that's 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 the real problem here, and that's what's so extraordinary to the Japanese is that South Korea would be seen as doing something that ultimately hurts itself more than it hurts Japan, and it's the symbolism of that gesture, that readiness, I think, to to engage in what's perceived as spite diplomacy that's really, really extraordinary, and thus there will be, I think, continued the, the, uh, political conversations. There will be quiet military conversations, but. It just won't work as well as it could otherwise. And the symbolism of this gesture, I think, is what is so powerful and so compelling and really what, what demonstrates, makes it clear what's going to have to occur to stop this is an equally powerful symbolic gesture on the part of Seoul. Brad Glossman on the line with us from Tokyo. Thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure to speak to you. And we can come back to Dr. Bong Yongshik from Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies here in the in the studio. And actually, what we were just hearing there ties back to the North Korea situation again, doesn't it? Because over the weekend, we had these missile tests, and uh, apparently Japan noticed the missiles nearly half an hour before the South Korean side and was far more strong in its characterization than very quickly as ballistic missiles, whereas in the past... We had South Korea and the U.S. taking the lead and making announcements and being very cagey about the language. But the South Korean military and the government insisted that the quality of the intelligence received from Japan through Jisomia uh, was not that outstanding or indispensable. So basic position is that South Korea's defense capability is just fine without Jisomia, but only with TISA, the alternative arrangement. 
but uh, we have to wait and see because, um, you know, when it comes to national security, you know, more information is always better. Do you agree with Mr. Glosserman that, however, it's a bit more cumbersome, the situation, or, or would you play down g s o m e a to the point where it doesn't make much difference then at all? It doesn't make any difference when you're, when you're worried about the uh, breakdown of you know, U.S.-South Korea military alliance. You know, g s o m e a is not uh, that uh, essential to the overall you know, security cooperation um, system between the United States and South Korea as allies. And that is the problem, ironically speaking, because it's too small as an issue that it wouldn't attract the attention and concern from the uh, U.S. government at the level of the President Trump. And uh, if it does not really hurt the United States, then it will not be enough to, you know, have... United States moved to put pressure on Abe administration of Japan to do something that would cancel the imposition of export control on South Korea. So it is too weak, it is too small uh, for South Korea to move the United States and thereby move Abe administration to stop the current uh, attacks on South Korea. In a sense, then, is more of a worry at this point the fact that Seoul seems to be making such emotionally-led decisions. It's a criticism that I've heard from people outside. What I'm saying is that uh, it can be justified, even necessary, to um, go eye for eye for the imposition of export control by Japan in the name of national security. But if you're going to do that, you have to hit Japan where it hurts. Does it hurt Japan enough so that Abe administration will make a significant change from the current policy towards South Korea? And the strategy for Moon Jae-in government so far has been uh, by persuading Washington so that Washington will persuade Japan to abandon current behavior. But cancellation of Jisomia only hurts and angers Washington. Do we have, honestly, the strength... And the position right now to do that, though, to hit Japan where it hurts and to force Washington's hand. It depends on what kind of credibility and how much credibility South Korea would command with other countries, including U.S., North Korea, Japan, China. But if you're going to engage in hostile relations with most of the neighboring countries, then your credibility and uh, your capability to be an effective mediator only go down. China... use the same economic retaliations to South Korea when South Korea decided to accept that system right. for the U.S. military. What kind of response did South Korean government do to China well, compared felt, to South Korean government's response to the imposition of export control by Japan in the name like, of national security? It felt like we were entirely helpless at the time with the China... <laughs> unofficial sanctions but we are out of time Dr. Bong and thank you as ever for offering your own frank reaction to what's going on uh, Dr. Bong Yong-shik research fellow at Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies